G'day, Darren Mitchell here, and another great episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader podcast about to hit your earbuds. Today, I'm speaking with John Alwinson, who is the Senior Regional Sales Manager at Boston Scientific, been in sales for over 15 years, made the transition from individual contributor to sales leader, and we talk about some of the challenges experienced in that transition, as well as speak quite uh, in a lot of detail around some of the key principles out of his recently released book, Relentless Sales, which gives you the skills, the mentality, and the faith needed to be a great salesperson. So looking forward to uh, re-listening to this conversation. It was a great conversation that I had with him, and uh, I trust that you'll enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So uh, without further ado, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast, and now welcome to a man all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, Mr. John Elwinson. How are you, my friend? Aaron, I'm great. Great. Thanks for having me. Mate, I love the I love the salute. For people, if ever they watch this on YouTube, I just got a salute from the great man. <laughs> Let's go. That's the first time any podcast guest has actually saluted me, and we haven't even started talking yet. Just became friends. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so, John, great to have you on the on the show. You and I have been connected now on LinkedIn for a little while. And yeah. uh we're kind of I, I think even though we don't know, don't know each other that well yet, but um, I think we're kind of kindred spirits because we, even though we've been in sales in different industries, we have a similar pathway that both of us have been individual contributors that have made the, I guess, the leap to sales leadership. And uh, the only thing I haven't done yet is I haven't written a published real book. I've written an ebook, but not a real book in which you have. So you're one step ahead of me right now, but I'm um, very much looking forward to this conversation. So um, before we jump in, love to get a bit of a, a sense of, and for the listeners, a bit of the backstory of of John Alwinson um, yeah. and what's led you today, because I would like to explore what was the catalyst for you to, to write a book. But before we get to that, what's the um, what's the career background that um, has led you to be into sales, mate? And you're in sales right now with a company called Boston Scientific in medical um, medical devices, which is really intriguing. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. And I, and again, appreciate you having me on. This is going to be a lot of fun. I think um, my background, like a lot of listeners, I grew up pushing a lawnmower at an early age with my older brother hustling the, the neighborhoods. Right. And, uh, and so we, we started off mowing lawns was my first kind of step in, in business. And so from mowing lawns, the pressure washing to sports in high school. And then after college and during college, we came up with an idea of creating a uh, manufacturing, manufacturing footwear company. And so my brother and I started manufacturing footwear in China and okay. we're selling, we were selling that throughout the U S um, for about four and a half, five years of my last year of college. And then we had about a four, four and a half, five year run post-college entrepreneur, so, my friend entrepreneur. So we had, we had a really good run. We talk about it in the book, but all the mistakes we made, there were, as you can imagine, two younger guys starting a company, uh, raising capital. We made a lot of mistakes. And, uh, and we learned from those. And so I went from um, a failed venture. Ultimately, we shut it down. Uh, we didn't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel to um, an associate in medical device sales. 
was that was there for a few years and then I jumped into uh, a company where I was uh, sales rep of the year, rookie of the year, best two years combined. And, and that actually catapulted me to with the organization I'm with now um, to, to really into management. And so for the last 15 plus years, I've been in sales uh, of some sort. So I love I love talking to salespeople because we are a can I say we're a different breed? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I say and I say that with the utmost respect because when you look at it, every single person on the planet is in sales in some form, um, irrespective of whether you carry a target or not. If you, as you look back, and maybe it was the catalyst in mowing lawns, um, hustling with your with your brother, and and maybe the the manufacturing and shoe shoe distribution, but what was it about sales that really intrigued you or mm-hmm. got you hooked? Because I my my own experience is, it's like sometimes you've got um teams, whether it's basketball, football in in Australia, that people either love or they hate. And I reckon yeah. it's very similar to sales. People who are in sales, for the most part, if they're pretty good at it, love it. And then there are yeah. others that hate it. And yes. go back to it. Yeah. What was it for you that was, I guess, the allure of, of sales for you? Yeah, you know, I, so in chapter one, I talk about mentors. A mentor came to me and was like, look, I, I didn't know when I failed, we failed the venture. Um, I knew I needed to, to get into some kind of industry, right? And he really pointed me and guided me to sales. He said, you were doing it with that venture. Um, you've got a natural proclivity to wanting to be around others. So I think using the resources in our life to help guide us is so important. And so mentors, yeah. uh, it, there's a reason it's chapter one of my book. I think it's everything because um, sometimes we don't see it. I mean, I work with reps right now that you know, don't really know their why, don't know what drives them. And and that's okay. You know, we all kind of learn those things at different points. But um, I think my dad coming to me and then these mentors kind of coming around me and say, I think sales might be your thing. That's kind of really what pushed me to to explore medical device. And the great thing about that, and and I say that really respectfully, you don't necessarily have to have an MBA or or a tertiary education to be good in sales. And it's That's amazing so how many people I speak with that kind of fell into sales, didn't actually start off their career and say, oh, I'm going to be a salesperson. But it ends up being one of the most lucrative and most fulfilling careers. Um, and there's so many things you can achieve and so many different people you can meet. It is. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And I joke around with my team. I'm like, I ask a lot of questions because I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And I think that's <laughs> that. That's the reality. I ask, I ask questions. I say, tell me more. I dig a little deeper with customers and I genuinely don't know. Yeah. And I think not being the smartest guy in the world has allowed me to achieve success in sales because yeah. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to be curious because I don't know the answer. <laughs> well, and, and you've got to have that, right? And there are so many, and we probably, and people listening to this probably know people who, um, almost give the impression that they are a know-it-all, right? They they walk around either the sales floor or in the industry with a bit of a head wobble, a bit of a swagger. Yep. Um, but if you're authentic and if you surround yourself with good people and are curious, as you rightly say, it's amazing how many people will drop their barriers and open up to you and maybe share some information that ordinarily they wouldn't share with a salesperson because you're creating the impression and this is what needs to be it needs to be a, a genuine impression that you're there to serve them and then oh, help them and and so that you, you need to be able to do that so uh let's just talk because i'd love to talk about your book um you're the author of relentless sales and you just said before we press recording that you're about to embark on a new one around sales leadership which is which is really exciting yeah. um, there's a number of things i'd like to cover off in the book but one of the first questions i got for you is and you mentioned it was the first chapter in the book is around mentors 
And mm -hmm. I often talk to sales teams and sales leaders and say, hey, you need to be really clear and really specific on who you choose to have in your inner circle because mm -hmm. you will be a, I guess, a direct reflection of them and they of you. Yep. For somebody listening to this, perhaps, and you mentioned it before, you've got some sales reps perhaps that don't know yet their why. Maybe they haven't thought about mentors. Maybe they think, well, you know, what can a mentor teach me? Maybe I'm not worthy. They might have a bit of imposter syndrome. What are some key thoughts you've got around the power of that and how perhaps that helped you fast track your career? Mm -hmm. So we talk about it, your inner circle, I call it the board of directors for your life, right? So create your board of directors. It makes it a little more fun, I think, just kind of thinking about if you were starting a business, who are those key people in your life that you would put around that table? That really, their opinions really matter. And, you know, they could be in your network, they could be in your church, they could be wherever, right? Um, and they could just be a guy down the street that you know is a successful business person that you want to get to know more and, and yeah. would value their opinion. But um, build your board of directors, um, keep your inner circle tight and, and listen to them, share with them what you're going through. Ask them, like, if you're going through a tough time or you're, you're uncertain about the future, say, Hey, listen, I'm uncertain about where I want to go next with my career, but here's where I think my skill sets are. I'm very curious, you know, shoot me straight. What, um, what do you see on the yeah. other side? Yeah. It's so important because, um, I was actually doing a training last night actually for, for a company and they're about to embark on a mentoring program. So I had about, I think there's about 15 mentors who were who were there. And the thing that I found with these guys is they were just as uncertain about their role in a mentoring relationship um, as the mentees were yeah. or are right now. And I said to them, it's interesting that um, mentors, there's no mentor that goes around actively looking for people to mentor. Right. So you're not right. gonna you're not gonna see ads in yellow pages or on Google, hey, mentor for hire. But they want to be able to pour into people and they're waiting to be asked. And so mm -hmm. as you build your board of directors, it's so important to identify people who share the same, not so much the same goals, but maybe the same philosophies, the same approach. Yeah. Are they of good character? Do they demonstrate the characteristics that you either resonate with or would like to build depth in? And, yeah. ask, them, and ask them, just ask them because people are waiting to be asked to mentor. Yeah. It's funny. I grew up, I was a pastor's kid growing up. And so my dad, we didn't necessarily grow up with a lot of money, but what we did grow up with it were a lot of people in, in our church. And so my yeah. dad would pull me aside and say, Hey, Johnny, this, this guy over here is like this entrepreneur guru, go ask him to coffee. And if you can set up coffee or lunch, I'll pay for it. And so I grew up in an environment where um, my dad didn't know anything really about business. He's a preacher, right? Yeah. Um, but he knew a lot of people who did. And so yeah. I was able to tap into those resources and ask those people. And, and I think what I talk about in the book is make it very informal. Hey, mm. you know, Darren, I really respect you've got a podcast. You've got this, that, or the other. Can I take you to coffee and pick your mind for a minute? Yeah. Like you said, these older folks that are a couple steps ahead of us want to help. Yes. And, 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 and are happy to help. And I think yeah. guys, guys want to help other guys. Right. And older ladies want to help out younger ladies. It's the same. It's yeah. the same uh, across the board. It is. And, and one thing we should be making really clear, you don't have to be old to be a mentor. That's right. <laughs> you and I are both 25, That's 26 right. years old. So, uh, you know, and hey. it's amazing what the filter can do on zoom, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. So with that, um, 
obviously that the 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 I guess the impression that people created for you growing up and in your early parts of your career led you down this path of sales. Um, yep. And then after a few years, you become sales rep of the year, rookie of the year, um, number one salesperson for for two years. And then you made the leap, my friend. You made the leap yeah. from individual contributor to yes. sales leader. Now, I, I work, and obviously this podcast is the exceptional sales leader, so it's all about how do we help sales leaders make that leap from, I guess, ordinary or just common to, to exceptional. Yeah. Um, and how do we help people who maybe have the desire to move from individual contributor to a sales leader? Mm-hmm. Before we talk about some, because I want to talk about some principles in the book, but um, I'd love your experience making that mm-hmm. leap. Yeah. Um, how would you describe it? Was it was it smooth? Was it a bumpy road? What was what was your experience? And and looking back now, what are some of the key lessons that you've learned that you now mm-hmm. impart on your team and particularly people in your team who are looking to also build a career in sales leadership? Mm-hmm. So I was I was probably about a year or two prior, I was starting to read leadership books. I've been around leaders. So I would say that it was, it was only, it wasn't as bumpy as I, I would have thought. I made tons of mistakes, right. As an early manager, but I think um, I follow uh, Craig Groeschel, who's a guy over here in the U S a big leadership guy. And he talks yeah. about people always would rather follow a leader who's real rather than who's always right. Yeah. And so like that has been, that was part of my leadership philosophy from early on is I'm just going to be a real leader. Like I want to be around winners. I want to win. Um, and and kind of, I walked into leadership with at reading a book um, that talked about team health and high performance. And when you go all high performance, team health suffers. Yeah. And when you go all hunky dory team health, high performance suffers. Right. Yeah. And so I walked in with that knowledge. And at times I caught myself, I would kind of do a little pulse check on myself, getting a little too extreme on the high performance side. A lot of us are wired that way. So there's a long winded way for me to say it was slightly bumpy, but not as bad as it could have been had I not had mentors, resources, and some basic knowledge going into it. It could have been bad. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because um, my experience and is that there are a number of, and particularly in Australia, there are a number of sales leaders who come out of the high-performance individual sales contributor pool. And when mm-hmm. you think about the the fictitious quadrant model that organizations never look at, just like there's no such thing as the bell curve. Right. <laughs> they, they obviously look in the top right-hand quadrant, which is high-performance and high-potential. And yeah. that's the natural pool from which we draw sales leaders from. But interestingly, sales organizations don't necessarily look at, does the potential sales leader have mm-hmm. some of the key characteristics that we need and have identified as being conducive to a really exceptional leader, such as mm-hmm. finding that balance between high performance and health, right? right. Um, right. And so there's a lot of people that flounder. And I, I like to say that many salespeople are thrown to the wolves when they become a sales leader and not necessarily given I guess the transition plan, all the support that's required, because the skill set's different. Mm-hmm. I love, I love your take on this. In that, what was the, what was the experience in like the first ninety days? Was, was it really difficult to make the separation from having to do the deals to now having to take a step back and help facilitate the team to do the deals? What's your, mm-hmm. what was your experience around that? 
Yeah, there's there's a, a natural desire to still be in hero mode, right? When you when you move into the, the sales management role, where you still want to prove yourself, but really that that shift is it's got to be about my team. And I knew it. I think there was a little bit of um, still wanting to be the star player uh, yeah. that came out. And the the thing that saved me was I had a really bad manager. Um, the 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 company before. And so I had, I started off with a great manager. I saw what good looks like. Then I inherited this terrible manager who was taking credit for my deals. And I walked in with, whenever I'm a manager one day, I am never going to be like this other guy. And so I am so, I was so burned by the bad manager, but I'm also grateful for the bad manager because the bad manager helped me realize no, no, no. It's not about me. I saw how angry it made me when I was an individual contributor and I promised to never allow that trickle into my management. So honestly, I think that that was probably one of my biggest saving graces as a manager, new manager is like, I, I saw what good and bad looked like going into it. And that's a great, a great example. And it points to the mistakes that we make. Um, my own experience, I had, I had two years of preparation before I got the opportunity to be a sales leader. And mm -hmm. so I had time to look for what was good, what was not so good, and take bits and pieces from each so I could start to form my own, I guess, my own approach, for want of a better term, my own philosophy, so that when I got the opportunity, I knew what I wanted to be and who I wanted to be. Even with that, there were still challenges, that which which I'll talk about at another at another time. But yeah, uh, it's such an important point you make because sometimes if you if you have just the one-dimensional leader that you follow. Um, mm -hmm. you get a view of leadership often through that lens. So you've got to have some variety. So, And the thing is, you've got to be yourself. You've got to be authentic. So you're going to make mistakes um, yep. and you're not going to be all things to all people, but just be, be just be real. And you're mm -hmm. going to, you know, as I said, you're going to make some mistakes and, and you get some things right. Your team is a lot more forgiving when you, when you lead as a real, Hey, I'm going to be real. I'm going to make mistakes lead with that. Right. Say, listen, I'm going to make mistakes. I expect you guys to help point those out when I do yeah. make a mistake, but yeah. um, our goal, paint that vision of where you see the, the team going and invite them into that vision. Yeah. And I think they're a lot more gracious with you when you, when you lead as a real leader and admit you're not going to be perfect along the way. That's it. That's it. And you got to do that. And, and you'll often build a lot, a lot more camaraderie and a lot more trust and respect if they know that you've got a leader there that's not trying to pretend to be somebody who they're not. Totally. You know? Yeah. Totally. Awesome. Yeah. So what What then, What then? Uh, I was going to say, what then possessed you to write a book, but what was the catalyst? Where did, where did the idea of Relentless Sales come from? Yeah. So, I mean, this is the book I wish I had 15 years ago. This is kind of the accumulation of all the sales skills that I put together, yeah. um, you know, over the last 15 years in a, in a, an awesome guide. If you're new to sales, I've had people who have been 15, 20 years message me and say, Holy cow. It's like, your book is exactly what I needed. Um, it, it was a good refresher and excite. I learned this or that. Right. And so people at all stages can, can pick something up, but I really wanted to have a guide that, that could really help that next generation of sellers. So I think as cliche or cheesy as it may sound like I really want to help that next generation. And to me, it was very fun and therapeutic kind of putting, working through my thoughts and like, if I'm coaching a newer rep, what would I tell them? What would be yeah. the exact playbook? And this is it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned you start off with the, uh, with the chapter on mentors and how important it is to build your board of directors, which, which I think everybody should seriously think about because you are a combination of the, of the people that you surround yourself with both professionally and personally. 
Um, there's mm. a number of key principles in your book, and you've got um, what is it, eighteen chapters, which is a uh, which is a decent sized book, my friend. It, it is, but look here. I mean, this is a thin book. I have people who have read it in two sittings, so it's okay. uh, it. They're short chapters. I'm not. I'm not a big reader from a real lengthy standpoint of books, so I wanted something short and sweet for my my readers. Well, you did also say that before we jumped on the podcast that you're pretty concise. So, <laughs> yes, yes, I'm I'm I'm, I'm too hyper. I'm I'm, call, I'm what you call an activator. I'm impatient for action. So. <laughs> Love it, love it. So, yeah. tell me about the um, tell me about the the order in which have you have you written the book in the order of the key principles, or is there one overarching principle that stands out for you? I should say, by the way, that the book's about relentless sales. It's all about the skills, the mentality, but also the faith needed yep. to be great in in selling. So, you've talked about the three key pillars: so, uh, skills, mentality, and also faith. Is there yeah. one key principle out of all of it that you say, you know what? This is the number one thing that if you just did this or embraced mm-hmm. this, this could make mm-hmm. a significant difference. I don't know if I could just pick one. It's kind of, that's like your children, right? I mean, can you, can you only pick one? Um, but I, I, I mean, in those pillars, I, I break it down. I mean, there, there's one thing that there's a chapter I, I sent it to one of my friends. He's a mixed martial art fighter. And so he's a tough guy. He's like, I'm not much of a reader, but your chapter on fear was incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I think in sales, maybe if there is one thing, I think sometimes we're either too high on the confidence continuum over to arrogance and hubris, or we're too low. and We got so beat down over the years to where, you know, we um, give up our confidence weekends. And so I think this book, if, if you're going through a period of time right now where you're suffering from, from lack of confidence or if you need to be checked with overconfidence, I think this book kind of has has uh, several aspects of that. But fear is a topic I don't think we talk about enough in sales to where we see reps do silly things, right? If they're nervous, they walk in and they maybe they blabber, right? And they screw up a deal because they say too much or they're awkward and they are making it uncomfortable to be in the room with their client. Right. And they don't say enough. And so fear, maybe if I had to pick one thing, um, kind of overcoming and getting the right mindset around fear would probably be one of the things I would say. Love it. So let's, let's deal with that because I know salespeople deal with this a lot. And even though salespeople like to often create or portray a, like a, an armor, that we are yeah. impenetrable. We are super confident. We're going to close this deal. And and particularly yeah. when it comes to sitting down with their sales manager and say, yeah, we're going to get this deal. It's a 95% probability. How do you know that? Yeah. Oh, because we've got a good relationship. And he told me so. Um, in other words, I'll just wish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, a lot of, depending on who you, who you listen to, a lot of people say, well, fear is false evidence appearing real and all that sort of stuff. But we know right. that from a, from a physiological point of view, fear is fear is actually real because there's a psychological and a physiological response to that. Yeah. As a salesperson, and sometimes as a sales leader, we can also suffer from fear. And it could be the fear of being found out. It could be the fear of if I've if I if I'm now revealed as the imposter that I always knew I and I get that reveal in front of my peers or a senior leader, oh my God, what's going to happen? What are some, I guess, techniques, some tangible things that if people right now are not feeling as confident as perhaps they'd like to, and it's not about faking it. But what are some what are some tangible things that people can start to work on to at least move towards driving a high level of confidence? 
Yeah, great, great question. I think, you know, um, in the book, I talk about how action attacks fear and inaction builds fear. And so I think sometimes when we're fearful, I think Bezos has a really good video. Actually, after I wrote the book, a buddy of mine texted me a Bezos clip where he talks about that essentially. And, and um, you know, when we go on the offense rather than go on defense, it, it allows some of the bigger deals that occupy so much mind and heart space to, uh, to subside a little bit. So I do think, um, but, but preparing, I talk about it, how I prepare my night before, how I outline what I think reps should do and think about their business. But so I think there's a systematic way of doing that. So I don't think people should just go run around and be action oriented and screw stuff up even more, right. Be systematic about it, but action does, um, does, does defeat fear. And I also talk about the next play mentality in the book. And what I mean about the next play mentality is, you know, when I grew up a basketball player, so over here, basketball was everything for me. And so I played my whole life, love it, um, still love, love watching it. But there were times where I had bad shots. I'd shoot an air ball, um, you know, and I would have to come up instead of being broken the rest of the game. I needed to, and I would say next play or next in my mind um, or clear, right. To clear my mind from that. And I think as salespeople, I talk about a story where a a customer hung up on me and literally I had to just laugh after the call. I would have hung up on, on me as well. Right. Um, But sometimes we have to just say next play and move on. And so those are a couple things. I think there's, um, Scripture memorization is one thing I think for me has been really helpful. Um, you know, God's not given me a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, sound mind, having mantras, yeah. Yeah. Um, things like that. And then and then if, if affirmations as well, like I think we get beat up as salespeople. So when we walk into our day, if we're if we've loaded it up on the front end of our day with positive affirmations, we're ready for those four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten negative yeah. things to come. And we're like, bring it yeah. on. Absolutely, and I think the um, I think the concept of next or the next play is a good thing. And I, and I as you were talking, I was remembering a podcast I listened to. I can't remember who the professional golfer was, but he was thinking exactly the same thing. So, when you consider a professional golfer coming down the stretch on the 18th hole or the 17th hole of a major tournament, and they're one shot in front or even a one shot behind, yes. the pressure that they're on, they have to. And I and I can't say this word, but I'll try it anyway. Compartmentalize. Hey, I said. But it's all about the next, right? So you've got to forget yeah. about what's just happened and go to the next thing. And that's where the, I guess, the action oriented, because that's what you've got control over. And yeah. I say to salespeople all the time that what you don't have any control over is how your customer reacts or responds. So you you yeah. you had no control over that customer slamming the phone in your ear, right? Right. What you had control over though was what you chose to do next. Mm-hmm. And you have a choice, right? And you can choose to either willow and self-pity and say, oh my God, what did I do? Or you can go on the attack and say, what an absolute insert description yeah. here. Yeah. And then that can go into the next call. And that next call could have been the best call of your life, but it won't be because you're carrying some sort of mental garbage that from the from the previous one. Yeah. And we're so hard on ourselves. I know I'm so hard on myself. I'm a perfectionist at heart, right? And so- it's easier to say it's harder to do, but yeah. you're right. If we do embrace that next play mentality and and know who we are kind of going into it and not be so broken by that customer's reaction, yeah, it changes everything. Yeah. And yeah. with this, how much, how much, um, how much of the fear 
comes into it because you mentioned before that sometimes you go into a situation and you're blabbering, right? And yeah. I, I talk about this a lot with teams where you're meeting a senior executive, you've finally got the meeting with the key decision maker, and perhaps you've never met them before or it's really hard to get to. And you can see yourself almost having this out-of-body experience where you're just doing all this small talk, right? What are some what are some things from a mental capacity that we can work on to give us a level of not so much grace and, and calmness, but I guess confidence that, hey, I deserve to be here. And through the process, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be conquering some fear, particularly when I'm talking with a senior person or a what I know to be a key decision maker or a key influencer. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, um, you know, again, we talk about the skills, mentality and faith, right? There's yeah. there's skill pieces going into a meeting like that you need to think through. Um, I have one that it's like always make it about your customer. Like yeah. when in doubt, you know, I know we're here to talk about X, Y, Z, Mr. and Mrs. Customer. Um, and we're going to talk about that. But I want to know what's important to you. What are your six month goals? What are your one year goals? Like can you, before we dig into topic, right? What are your goals? So I think if you know the framework of how you're going to have a conversation with the customer before you go in. That's part of the psychological piece. Cause you're, you've got your game plan going in. Mm. I'm going to make it about my customer going into yep. the meeting. Right. Yep. I've prepared and done what they've asked me to do, but also, I, you know, I think, I think you're asking like, are there, are there tips, tricks, other things, psychological preparation. And I think, you know, again, I, I go back to some of those things, um, you know, of, affirmations in the morning, right? Am I, am I consistently waking up early before the chaos of the day? I mean, I have a seven-year-old and five-year-old. So if I don't wake up early the rest of the day, like I don't have any peace or quiet. Right. And so, um, so I think scripture memorization for me, I like to read a little bit of Bible in the morning that that works for me. And that helps me remember my identity. Right. And when I, when I live from my identity, not for my identity, and I talk about that in the book, um, it, gives you a peace when you're in front of the customers, right? Because if it goes bad, pray it doesn't because you pre-call planned, right? If it goes bad, next play, your identity is not what that customer thinks of you. And yeah. you can kind of own up to how you, but I think if you pre-call plan, if you go in there with, with that plan and you make it about your customers, mm-hmm. ultimately, if you make it about them, you're not going to screw up anything. Right. You know, you know, and that's that's you you're touching on, I guess, some key elements of the of the mental game there. And you listen to elite sports people and elite business people, and they'll tell you that it's you know, it's not so much just showing up because you need to have some technique, you need to have some ability, but it's the mental game that separates the great from the exceptional. Um mm-hmm. and being really clear on who you are, what you stand for, coming back to what you said earlier that you know, you need to know why you need to yeah. know, you know, the value that they're going to add. And it's not about you. It's not about your product. It's about how you can serve your customer and hopefully solve a problem that they have. So you need to have some mental preparation. And, yeah. and so, and that, that will through that process help you to conquer fear and grow confidence because you're taking action, which is all mm-hmm. linked, right? Cause it, it really action, it's, it's developing competence and through competence, you develop confidence, etc. So from a perspective then of, of owning the mental game, um, mm-hmm. so you talked about affirmations, getting really clear in the, in the morning, starting with a, with a routine, because I'd like mm-hmm. to touch on some daily habits as well. Um, sure. What are some key key thoughts around owning this mental game? Because I know a lot of there are a lot of people out there that almost let things happen to them and they're almost at the mercy of the events that happen to them. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily take control 
of the actions and therefore have better control over the actions or the outcomes. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things I, I talk about in chapter eight, owning the mental game is, it, you know, success really does largely depend on how you think, right? And it's between your ears most of the time and documenting our wins. And so I, I do think if someone's you know struggling right now with self-confidence or imposter syndrome or whatever, or just want to refresh, right? Go back from your early age to where you are now and write your wins down from yep. making a sports team to, you know, mowing lawns like I did, right? That to me, that's a win, right? How many other 10, 11 year olds are out there mowing lawns at that age, yep. right? That's a, there's a toughness there that some don't have or didn't have. Yep. Um, and that gives you a competitive advantage, but go through and list. Did you have a big early win in your career that you can go back and say, I sold X, Y, Z at an early stage. And, and what it does is it kind of David Goggins, who's kind of the mental strength expert Navy SEAL guy in, in, in US, he um, he talks about, you know, the cookie jar. And anytime he gets he, anytime he gets criticism or whatever, he'll, he'll pick some of the something out of the cookie jar and remember some of these old wins. Right. And mm-hmm. um, he makes note of the haters, but he also he also takes note of his past successes in the yep. cookie jar. And those yep. little those little cookies along the way help you kind of overcome that that mental um, the mental mental sales is so tough. It really is a tough game that you've got to find ways to stay creative. Oh, you do. And that's where you've got to be in charge of your mental faculties and realize that whatever um, whatever other people are saying to you, whatever other people are doing to you, it's you don't necessarily have control over that. You've got control over how you respond to it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. No, that's good. And I think, you know, the last thing I would say is like, just keep your schedule disciplined. I think a disciplined schedule really helps with that as well. So there's this thing called the full focus planner. I'm not affiliated with them or anything, but I buy a lot of their planners. And and for me, it's kind of your top three goals each night. You've kind of outlined what you're going to do the next day, um, some key goals and objectives. And then when your feet hit the floor the next morning, you're ready to go on the offense rather than reacting and, and the panic and the anxiety kick in. You're already prepared to hit the next day. Yeah, it's a good point. Absolutely good point. So if you think about the the skills of of salespeople and you know it's all about the the wins and and the disciplines and so forth. Yeah. Are there some are there some key skills that almost become non-negotiable? Um, because there are some that you can you can get away with, but there are others that, you know, I have to absolutely nail this in order to build consistency um, and sustainability. What are some what are some key skills, particularly for people starting out, Because and particularly as a sales leader who is bringing on new members of the team, mm-hmm. how to give salespeople a good, a good start to their sales career so that they're not lost to the career? Because you mentioned before, sales is not easy, right? It's, it's no. quite challenging. And, it's, and it, it's also not for everybody, even though everybody could do it. You're so right. And I think the first thing that jumps out to me, I'm kind of old school when it comes this way, but is is a good sales process. I think there's so many talented young folks that are coming out that don't have a basis for selling. And um, I actually was DM'd on on LinkedIn by a guy who said, your your sales process you outlined in chapter six helped me get a job with this organization, right? And so they were an ex-athlete. They had all the interaction people skills, but they didn't have a sales process. And he said, John, that's exactly what helped me get the job. And so I outlined what I think is the best process from one of my mentors that that gave me permission to outline his sales process. 
And really that process, you don't have to have the one that I favor. You just have to have a process from pre-call planning all the way through identifying pain and closing and following up. You've got to have some framework. It's kind of like throwing form and football that or soccer form you guys call football, you know, soccer. I don't know which way is right. You all are probably right. But uh oh look in us in Australia, we we call because football in Australia is Australian rules football, right? So when uh, when people talk about football in the context of Australia, it's Aussie rules footy. Okay. Uh, we we call football soccer, but you talk to a soccer mad a mad person, they'll say, No, 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 it's football, it's not soccer. That's awesome. Well, we call soccer, whatever the sport is. I mean, I know that's huge over there for you guys. And it's a really, it's a great sport, but it, it sales process is the same as being good at a sport. If, if you're going to kick a ball, you yep. need to have consistent, good form. You know, you need to know where to kick the ball, right? Yep. If you're shooting a basketball, you need to have same consistent form. Otherwise you're going to be inconsistent with your results. Yep. Yep. So I'm, I'm big on that. You've got to have a good sales process. So that's the first thing I start with. And then with that, um, the daily habits come into it to say, okay, we've got a we've got a regimented process that can be followed, and that will breed consistency. Mm-hmm. But then you've got to have some habits that you need to follow that fit into that process to give us the results over time. Because whether you listen to a sports person, whether it be a basketballer, um, a tennis player, football, NFL footballer, um, golfer, I was listening to a to a um, an Australian cricketer this morning on a podcast actually. Talking oh. about her, and she's a she's one of the best players in Australia. Um, her wow. routine, it's daily, it's daily habit, and she knows. And this is it's for people who are listening to this who know the game of cricket. When you're sitting, standing at the crease, and you're tapping your bat on the on the ground, she can tell within about fifteen minute, minutes as to whether she's in rhythm, about based on the tapping of that on the on the ground. So it's the oh, daily yeah. habits, and it's the small things you do. It's the small things you do that can obviously. Um, lead to the big, big results. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, following that, I, I, I like to simplify the, the complex and ask good questions yeah. and, and customer focused questions. And yeah. it's easier said than done. Um, a lot of times we get in such go mode to where we're on to the next customer without taking the time to simplify our messaging. And so when you're going in with a complex message, we, we need to be practicing. We need to be rehearsing before we go in there. To when you know we walk in there with a customer, that complex messaging, whether we're selling a million dollar piece of equipment or we're selling you know a five ten dollar item, is simple and easy to understand and resonates with them. Yeah, and it has to be all about them, not about us. And this is this is the point that I think a lot of salespeople get uh, don't get, and that is, it's actually not about your product. Correct. Your customers Correct. are not, because if it was about your product, your customers will be uh, thinking about you all day. They'll be lining up ready to buy your product. They'll be knocking down your doors. It's not. They're not waking. Mm-hmm. They're not waking up every day thinking, oh, I think I'll go and talk to John today. He's a great salesperson. Let me go and buy some scientific equipment. Right, right. Exactly. It's it's their problems that we're solving through our services, solutions, products. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so you've got to you've got to build the, the the technique around that and make it all about them and see how you can serve serve them. Yeah. Um, now here's another interesting one that you you talk about in your book in terms of entitlement and you talk about eliminating entitlement. Just just tell us a bit about that and and why this can sometimes be a real challenge in sales um, mm-hmm. around this topic. Yeah, it's it's such an important topic just about life in general as well. I mean, I think. 
it's dangerous. Entitlement's dangerous, right? When we think we're owed anything, walking to a customer, if we think they owe us anything, we're crazy, right? Yeah. Number one. Um, number two, but it often weakens us as salespeople. So if we walk around with a burden on our back that we're owed anything, we're not bringing joy to our customers. We're not bringing value. We're we're walking around with a with a chip that doesn't need to be on our shoulder, right? And so um, and there's a, there's a few different stories I tell in this chapter, but one story where um, my buddies and I, after we graduated college years ago, um, we're sitting around talking about, and one of the guys said, I think he's owed this amount of money when, when he, you know, because we graduated from this prestigious college. Right. And my brother just lit into him and said, you know, no one owes you blank he, anything, but he, he's, you know, no one owes yeah. you blank. Right. To, to leave it there and, and um, let my buddy have, and he turned, you know, flush red and he got uncomfortable and tried to justify his position, but it was a valuable lesson to me to remind myself and hopefully our salespeople reading the book. It's like, no one owes you anything. You know, we saw Nick Saban, who's a famous football coach here, um, American football coach, uh, but he was replaced in two days. He's someone that no one thought would ever be replaced, replaced in two days. One of the best coaches in history and, and is no longer just the everything about Alabama football. And so if you think you're not replaceable, you're crazy. <laughs> and also nobody, nobody owes you anything and nobody's going to come and do things for you and nobody's going to come and rescue you. No one's coming to save you. I told my team that the other day. It's, yeah. you know, we can point the finger, we can turn the thumb, right? It's, That's it. That's our and, only option. And you've got to think about, okay, whatever the circumstances are right now, what is it that I can control? What is it that mm-hmm. I can now do? And part of that is control your thinking and what you make, whatever's happening in front of you mean, whatever you, whatever that is you want to make, make it mean, and then and do whatever it is you need to move forward and take that one step. Yeah, and I, I talk about some affirmations on that. Like, you know, if you're going through that, that moment, you, you need to have some mantras. I got this. I've been here before. I can handle this. I'm smart, right? Basic, simple things. That even seasoned people, we need to be able to take a step back and remember to uh, watch ourself talk because it's yep. dangerous if we we go down the wrong path with that. Oh, absolutely. And part of that is the entitlement because you think, well, I've got this great relationship with this customer. I've been investing so much time, effort, resource into getting this particular customer, this opportunity to a particular point, and then throwing the added pressure on top that my sales manager is writing me every single day to say, when is this going to close? Right. And then it doesn't happen. You can almost feel, and and logically, you can justify this to say, "Hey, I'm I'm entitled to get this opportunity because I've put so much effort into it." But you've mm-hmm. got to realize that maybe you've missed something, and maybe um, you're not serving the customer in the way that they want to be served. So you don't necessarily deserve that. So right, bingo. So yeah, those are those are some of the things we talk about in that chapter. It's one of my favorite uh, chapters in the book. And so. Um, entitlement is an interesting is an interesting topic for that for those that come from the position of uh, like your mate was talking about. Well, I finished college, so I'm I'm entitled for for cash, whatever the case might be. Right? How do we? Because a lot of that would be almost ingrained at an early age, and mm-hmm. you look at society today that many messages that are going out specifically specifically to young kids. I know in Australia, there's there's this movement that you know everybody gets a prize. You know, young 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 kids playing sport they don't score because they don't want to have this mentality of you win or you lose. And I'm really concerned about you know what it's going to be teaching kids 
in yeah. relation to things like resilience and what it feels like not to not to get the result you're hoping for. And if everybody says, well, everybody everybody wins, you know, you've come last it's in trophy. a cross country, but you won. Here's your ribbon. Here's a representation. You go home, you show your parents, hey, I won. Where'd you come? I come last, but I won. Right. That's entitlement. It is. It is. So how do we how do we how do we change that? Because for a lot of people, mm. it's going to be ingrained in their, I guess, their DNA and linked to their identity because they've been told that from such an early age. Yeah, I, I think sports is a great um, a thing to get your kids involved in early. And in parenting, it's really going to start at the parent level. And, and if we just roll over and accept this national narrative of everybody gets a trophy, then yeah. our kids will fall in suit. But I think it, as parents and leaders and men and women, we need to speak up and, and take our kids trophy. If they came in last and said, honey, you did great. You it, Did you give your best? Right. Um, did you try hard? And I've even I have some buddies who, who will take those away from their kids and say, listen, like we love you. You're part of our family, but we're not taking this trophy. We're not accepting this because we did not win. Right. Yeah. And so I, I do think that's a that's a parental responsibility. And I do think um, getting kids involved in sports and not hold not overly hover when they yeah. lose. Hey, you lost. Go shake their hands. Tell them yeah. good, good game. Right. And that's we've it. got to mo- we've got to model that. And, and in sales, we've got to model that. Sometimes we win. Sometimes we don't. I hate losing more than anybody. I hate it. Um, but sometimes we have to model it that we screwed up. And then as leaders, sales leaders, we need to call it out and, and be direct with our people and say, hey, we lost this deal how I see it because of this, this and this. Right. Yeah. And we can't we can't do this in the future. And here's what I think we need to do to change it. And I think with that, you're so right. And we as sales leaders have such an important role to play that when the inevitable loss does happen, right? Mm-hmm. As as bad as it feels, as maybe as difficult as it might be to then face senior leaders because perhaps we forecast that this is going to happen, it's what happens next. Because what you don't want to do is have the mentality that people are going to be walking on eggshells for fear of retribution, criticism, whatever the case might be. It's a case of, okay, did we do our best? What is the lesson from this? And this is what John Maxwell talks about all the time. You win. And you learn, all right? It's not a win or loss. Winner, right. the loss is your perception. But what is the lesson that I can take so that I perhaps don't repeat the same mistake that I might have made that led to that loss? We have such a, an important part to play in that, and 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 talking about it and getting people to realize, well, what was the what was the lesson from this? What would you do differently next time if you had this opportunity again? And mm-hmm. it's about learning and, and using a platform to get better, not fixated on did you win did you lose and it's a finite well you're a failure if you didn't win and sometimes there are sales leaders that think like that because right. there's so much pressure to get the number right you're exactly right and in chapter 17 the second to last chapter i talk about redefining failure and i think that's that's what we have to do and we care so much about what others think of us yeah. um we don't we don't frame it the way you framed it just now which was yeah. perfect and that's, that's what we need to do moving forward is we need to, you know, failure is not in a, it's not a end state, right? It was an event that happened in your life. And one of the things I talk about with my seven-year-old, she's a perfectionist. So she never messes up when she does. She's devastated is I want to model um, that failure is okay in our family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if we're trying big things, we're going to fail. Yeah. And, and so um, it's an important concept to really wrap your mind around. 
And if you listen to any successful business person, head coach of a football team, soccer team, baseball, basketball team, they'll always say the success that we're achieving now, which is at a point in time, would never have been possible if we hadn't have experienced the steps along the way where we came up short and we came up short and we came up short mm-hmm. because it's an evolution. It's not a, a revolution. So there is no success without failure. But the only thing that failure um, is and when it becomes final is if you stop, if you quit. Mm-hmm. And there are people who, for whatever reason, find it too hard. And that's why a lot of people leave sales, for example, because they find it too hard and they can't be successful or they're told you are a failure and therefore they take it on as almost like an identity and say, I better go and do something else that's easier for me, right? right. right. But I don't like the feeling that I get when I'm failing. But more than that, I probably don't like the responses I'm getting from managers or others to say you are a failure. But a good leader will yeah. say, hang on, that's not a failure. It's just something that didn't work right now. What's the next thing you can do so that we don't repeat this mistake, but we can make improvement? Now, constant mm-hmm. improvement will lead to a better result. Preach. I love it. You, <laughs> you're preaching the choir here. I love everything you just said there. That's so good. Well, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's good stuff. All right. So the last thing I wanted to touch on in terms of the, the I guess, the chapters that, that stood out for me was, this concept of shoveling the rocks. Now, mm-hmm. I, I talk a lot to, to teams around big rocks, and I'm not sure this is the same sort of thing, but um, talk to me about shovel the rocks and, and what it means in the context of, I guess, driving relentless sales. Yeah, so there was a time I, I, came, I came back from like a three or four day trip in the field with my team, and I pulled up and I couldn't even pull my truck into the driveway because we had um, mounds of river rocks and pebble rocks literally in my driveway where my wife had ordered eight tons of rock in my driveway. I couldn't even park in it. And eight as you tons. can, eight tons. Um, and for those that, that are like me, I had to look up how much was a ton, 2,000 pounds, right? And so, um, and so I had to look it up and I said, you bought how much? And so what I realized was if I did nothing, I was going to get a letter from our HOA, um, probably a, a fine, right? Or I could put my headphones in like I have now, shovel the rocks and, and get after it. And so much in sales. And let me tell you what, those rocks, I mean, the river rocks, you'd shovel and then they'd all fill over themselves. It was like an endless mound of rock that never yes. in multiple wheelbarrow trips from the back of my yard to the front, back to the front. And so as I was just kind of sulking and upset that my wife bought so many rocks that I had to deal with, um, I quickly realized that it's, it's sale. That's what sales is a lot of times. A lot yeah. of what we do, a lot of sales management is uh, shoveling the rocks. Yeah. And part, part of our job is sometimes we need to put our earpiece in, put our mouthpiece in, bite down on our mouthpiece and just go to work. To and work. there are pieces that are not glamorous. And that's that's ultimately the relentless lifestyle. And, and the model I want to give people is no matter what you do in life, there's going to be hard. And so um, the relentless way is to is to get after it. And chapter two, I talk about going all out right yeah. in your sales force. But the, the, the reps that are successful are the ones that put in that unrelenting effort. Yeah, it is. And you can't, you can't, nothing, nothing replaces hard work. But the only thing we'll talk about, and it's it's linked throughout the whole book, is yeah. you gotta have you gotta have the mentors, you've got to have the daily habits, you've got to have technique that's gonna make progress because 
if you're just doing the hard work and you're doing the hard work with a technique or a habit or following a sales process that is broken, it's going to cause frustration and it won't necessarily give you definitive progress. So mm -hmm. by all means, do the hard work, but you other things in place as well so that it gives you opportunity of moving forward. But once you've got all that in place, shoveling yeah. the rocks, you just got to do it. You just got to make the calls. You've got to have the meetings. You've got to do discovery calls. You've got to do the demos. You've got to do the presentations. You've got to have the, the people slam the phone in your face. You got to stay relentless, right? You have to stay relentless with a smile on your face. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. So if there was one one piece of, I guess, advice or guidance from your experience that you'd leave people with today before we wrap up this particular episode, what would that be? Yeah, I think just continue to be a student of the game, regardless of where you are at in the game. I mean, obviously, people are listening to to, to this. I mean, they, they want to get better. We all want to get better. So keep getting better. Um, find resources to help you better. If not my book, find other books that you find that would be helpful. But but stay uh, as a constant learner and and stay in the deep end of the pool. I have a, I, a mentor kind of came inside and I asked him about success. He's like, just stay in the deep end. Yeah. Right. When you find yourself staying in the shallow end, you need to get out of the pool and jump back in the deep end. Right. And so um, that's what I would encourage people is like find find resources, stay curious and uh, be, be a continual learner, because I mean, that's that's what life's all about. Right. You learn, you grow or you don't. That's it. That's it. So and, and the great thing about it is each of us have that within our um, our sphere of control. We, we can control that. So you, you can choose. Sometimes you get thrown into the deep end. But a lot of the time you choose to jump into the deep end. You've got to choose yeah. to do that and then take the action that follows that thought. Yeah, no doubt. Brilliant. Hey, love the um, love the conversation, John. Greatly appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Um, for people that want to know a bit more about you uh, and also to get a copy of your book, Relentless Sales, where's the best place for them to A, connect with you and B, to buy the book? Yeah, connect with me uh, through my website. I have all my social media links there. John Alwinson, J-O-N. My last name is Alwinson, just like it sounds, yep. .com. Uh, Amazon.com has the book. If you'd like to pick that up, we'd, we'd love to have your support with that. Um, and, and stay connected with me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, Facebook, wherever social media is found. We'd love to stay connected with you guys. Brilliant. Love it. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know it's about uh, 6 p.m. in Atlanta right now, so um, it must be either dinner time or pre-dinner drinks time, as we talk about here at beer o'clock. So um, it's nearly coffee o'clock for me, <laughs> but it's about 10 a.m. here. So, um, mate, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and um, have a phenomenal year in sales and continue to be relentless. Thank you. Darren, appreciate it, man. It was great having you. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.